Take your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In the spirit of Valentine's Day just passed, and in keeping with the theme of this message, I'll tell you one of those preacher stories, and I'll remind you, a preacher story is one that probably never happened, but it sure sounds good. So uh, I found this in my files, and I thought it uh, fit the moment pretty well. Uh, It has to do with a husband who wasn't quite measuring up to the stuff his wife expected of him around the house. Not that that ever happens at your house, but in this particular case, this guy, had his wife had been on him for a while, a number of days, to go cut the grass out front. And, you know, he always kind of sort of had good intentions to do that, but not really good intention enough to go out and do it. And, you know, stuff kept coming up, important stuff kept coming up that kept him away from doing what she wanted, which was just to cut the grass. For instance, you know, his friends called and said, hey, let's go play golf. And so, you know, you can only do that every once in a while. So he went and played golf. And, you know, another day he wanted to go fishing. So they went out fishing. And, you know, the time passed and the yard didn't get cut. And it was more and more obvious that the neighbors were kind of upset about it. And the wife kept harping on him. And, you know, she was just flat mad about it before it was all said and done. And one day he came home from work. And he finds his wife out in the front yard, kind of reclined sideways And she has a pair of scissors, and she's clipping the grass with her scissors. Now, he just flew into this rage in his head. Now, he's never said anything. He just flew into it in his head. You know, she's just doing that, trying to get at me, and, you know, that just kind of went off. He got out of his car, and he went, and he stood at the car, and he just looked at her. She looked up at him and just kept clipping the grass with those scissors. So instead of saying something, he got... Got himself into the house as quickly as he could. And he was in there about five minutes. And he came out and he walked up to her and he handed her a toothbrush. And she looked at him and, of course, she's still clipping the grass until he gets there. He hands her the toothbrush and she says, what's this? And he said, well, I figured that since you're going to cut the grass, you might want to sweep the sidewalk when you're done. (laughs) Don't try this at home, guys. Uh, I want to talk to you about anger today and how easily that finds its way into our everyday life. And I just need to tell you as I go into this, uh, first of all, a little self-exposure for you. I am a recovering anger-holic. I've told you that before. So uh, this is one of those messages that come from uh, too much experience for me. And another part of that I want you to get on that front side is I believe that anger is in epidemic proportions in our society these days. And I'll add to that, given the current state of American angst uh, with economic issues and political issues and all the other issues that come with being an American citizen, I suspect that we're going to find anger as more and more of a real issue in our society. So it's a good time for us to listen to what the preacher has to say. After the early morning service, somebody came up to me and said, okay, I need to know something. I said, what's that? He said, You've been following me around this week? Is that why you preached on anger? <laughs> nope, it's been in the schedule for a while. It's been in this book that we're reading here uh, for centuries. So uh, let's find ourselves in it. What do you say? We're in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Here's something I want you to get from the outset. I, I have said, uh, if you have happen to be driven, driving by uh, this week and you saw the title for this sermon on our, uh, on our sign out there, I need to explain what I mean. The title is, I'm Chapped. 
Now, I don't know if chapped is a term that you tend to use when it comes to uh, being angry. Uh, Here's where I got that. I have a friend who is a plumber. Now, plumbers as a rule are not angry people. Right, Kenneth? That's right. Plumbers as a rule are not angry people. But um, this friend of mine was a rough guy growing up by his own admission. And so he still had an edge to him, even though he came to know the Lord, became a deacon and, you know, from a great family, but they were all just pretty edgy and uh, had seen their share of combat on the streets of America. And, uh, I was playing golf with him one day and he hit his ball. He was, he was, well, I mean, how would I say this? He was an awful golfer. All right. And he hit his ball and it landed, uh, at the feet of a guy in a cart two fairways over. And so, now personally, I'd have never claimed that ball. I would never, never would I have gone after that ball. But he did. And he went over there. He's a big guy. And he said, that's my ball. Well, the other guy was not too happy. And as we're driving away, he looked at me and he said, man, that guy was chapped. Now, immediately I was thinking, now I was thinking about the definition of the word trap, here, chapped. Here, here's a definition for you, okay? Reddened or cracked skin especially as a result of cold or exposure. And so I was thinking, that chap doesn't fit the situation. And the more I got to know him and play golf with him, the more I understand what chapped means when it says reddened or cracked skin. It's due to exposure. It's raw. That's a great word for us to use when we talk about anger and its effect on us. He regularly would say to me, I am chapped off today. Well, okay, for me, that was a good sign. Steer clear, give him lots of space. You know, people like that. All right, so that's the deal. But here's something that I want us to get as we, in the overall context of the chase, and you'll remember that what we're talking about in this thing we're calling the chase, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, I call him the preacher, uh, taking the name of the book as our uh, prompt there. He has said to us in a number of different ways, there's only one place to focus when it comes to chasing meaning in life and fulfillment in your own life. The problem is that we're like he was and we try all different kinds of things trying to find meaning and purpose in life. We look for wealth and we look for success and we look for power and all of those kinds of things. So when we come to this particular passage in chapter 7, Uh, at least the first part of it, is just a collection of miscellaneous proverbs. They don't seem to have any real connection, scholars tell us. But here's what I think in verses 8 and 9, which is where we're going to be today. He underscores this basic truth for us, that a byproduct of a wrongly focused chase is frustration. In other words, when we're chasing after stuff, looking for it to give us meaning and purpose in life, It can't do that unless it's God himself through the person of Jesus Christ that we are chasing after in our own personal life. Whatever else we chase leaves us frustrated. And that frustration can lead to anger. And when we entertain anger in our lives over a long period of time, it becomes embedded in us. That's when it, cha- it ceases to be just an emotion among others. It, cease- it becomes the defining characteristic of our lives. We become angry people. So with that in mind, and we're going to come back to that statement at the end so that that's how important it is, I want to finish with it as well. 
But the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes would say to you and to me, if you're an anger-holic, if you're an angry person, if you're really comfortable with exploding on other people, you're foolish. Now, that's him talking, not me. All right, so if you're going to get mad, hello, if you're going to get angry about that kind of statement, be sure you focus your anger in the right place. We'll talk about all of that kind of stuff. And so we come to the passage of Scripture. Here we are now, verses 8 and 9. Now, I'm not going to read all the other stuff. Like I said, it's a collection of proverbial sayings. And so in verse 8, it says, Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Now, the way I'm going to do this, I'm going to start with verse 9, and we'll backtrack to verse 8 towards the end of this message. But as we get into the message and deal with verse 9, particularly the anger element of all of that, uh, let's make sure that we're all on the same page when I talk about anger. Now, historically, I've seen several different reactions from people when I go to talk about it. Uh, And here's one of them. Um, There's that group of people that just explain away the anger that they show in their lives. I might say to them, you seem angry. I often get the response, it's okay, I'm Irish. Now, that's a total disconnect, except in our society, we have somehow, somebody did, somewhere down the road, kind of related that if you're Irish, then you're an angry person. Now, I don't know if you're Irish or not, and I'm not accusing you of being angry. I've known some Irish people. They're angry. Now, i tell you the other one, though. This is the one I see more often than that one, is you better not mess with me because I'm redheaded. Well, you know, there are redheaded ducks, too. That Well, no, that's another whole other story. Where do we get the idea that just because of our hair color, it's all right if we become, or maybe even natural hair color, if you dyed it red, then you don't get the excuse that we're angry because we're redheaded. I used to serve on staff with a guy. He was our music minister in church I served before I came here. And uh, his wife was redheaded. And by her own admission, she is the one who lived out that stereotype. I'm redheaded. It's okay if I blow up on people. Well, is that okay? Well, to them, it's okay, and that's really kind of the point. So we talk about anger, and they go, well, you know, it's really okay. You don't, it's really not an issue for me because I'm just that way. Another group of people uh, actually are the opposite of that. They're the ones who are in denial. Okay, well, that's worst case. They're the ones when I say, you're angry, aren't you? Well, no, no, I don't get angry. Okay, so first of all, if that's you and you really don't get angry. There are people like that. I say to you, congratulations. You figured out a key secret in life, but there's only about four other people in America who are like you. (laughs) And we have all different ways of showing our anger. I'll talk about a few of those in just a second, but it is possible that you may be sitting here today and you really don't have a problem with anger. More power to you. Congratulations. Listen to this sermon for somebody else. Okay. Maybe you'll find something in there. But many people use that as a way. I don't get angry. And what I really want to do is I want to talk to their children or to their spouse and find out if that's a true statement or not. Nobody knows if you're an angry person like the people who have to live next to you all the time. The third kind of people here are the ones 
Okay, now this is usually it's the rest of us. These are the ones who deflect responsibility. This is the person who says, he makes me so mad. Now, I get this in counseling sessions sometimes, okay? How are things going for you? Oh, he makes me so mad. And, of course, I'm thinking, just don't kill him in my office. The paperwork for that is just terrible, okay? Um, but, but there's something wrong, and I want us to get this, and I'll come back to it later. There's something wrong with an attitude or a level of thinking that says, I'm angry, but it's somebody else's fault. Okay, we're going to come back to that, so just kind of hold that one where you can get to it. Now, my favorite reaction to anger, I've only heard it really one time. Uh, I may get kind of snippets of it from other people every once in a while. But I, I, I've mentioned this before, but I bring it up because it's too good not to bring in at this point. Um, I was watching a TV show one time. It's kind of like Candid Camera. Some of you remember this immediately as I start talking about it. Uh, and the whole shtick for this particular television program is where they try to catch people being themselves instead of you know some facade that they throw up. And uh, so the shtick was they were in a little mom and pop kind of a grocery store, and the camera was behind the register shooting towards the person who was standing there checking out. Uh, the deal was, no matter what kind of money they gave to pay for whatever they were buying, the cashier would not give them any change. And so they would take their money, put it in the cash register, close it, say thank you very much, and turn around and walk away. And the whole joy of the TV program was watching the person who did not get their change. Oh my goodness, you talk about angry people. It's amazing what people will do over just a handful of pennies, even. And so we went through this whole thing, and there were, people are mad, and they're yelling, and they're, you know, that kind of stuff. But the, the best of the whole thing was the one guy who came in. He, it was like maybe $2, $2 in a penny or something like that. And the guy gave him, let's say it's a $5 bill. The clerk took the money, as was the stick for the show, took the money, put it in the cash register, said, thank you very much, turned around and walked away. And the guy stood there. And he looked down and he looked at the cash register and he looked up to see if the guy went to get change or whatever it was. The guy didn't show back up. He just went, hmm. and he turned around and he walked out, which was not at all what the producers wanted to see in the TV show. They were looking for the people to throw off, right? So they stopped the guy and they said, hey, what's the deal? They, did, did you get your change back? He said, no, man, the guy just kept my change. Well, doesn't that bother you? Here's what he said. Listen, I made a decision a long time ago not to let people rent space in my head. Let me tell you something, there's wisdom in that. So many people in our society live their lives in reaction to other people. This guy said, just don't let them rent space in my head. I'm not going to worry about it. And he went about his business. When we talk about anger, where do you place yourself in the spectrum that I just described? Now, I'm going to generalize this. We have some true psychologists that are part of our church, and so I'll just let you guys recognize. I know that I'm generalizing this and trying to boil it down to something that we can chew on today. I want to talk about three general types of anger. Now, one of them, this is the one that is least common in American society today, but it's probably the one that uh, most of us wish or maybe even claim to exercise. This is the one we call righteous anger. And the example, the best example of this is Jesus over in Mark 11 where he goes into the temple and he sees what's there and they've made it into this merchandising kind of a thing. And so what does he do? In anger, he 
cleanses the temple, we call it. All right? Now, that's righteous anger. That's the kind of anger that does not offend a holy God. It's the kind of an emotion that we have that is a response to an injustice that God says is an injustice. Now, how we handle that is a whole other discussion, but this is that righteous kind of an anger. Ephesians 4, 26 talks about it when it says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, I think our problem is that we like to take that and we hold on to it and then we hide behind it every once in a while when we let our anger get the best of us. It's the only type of anger in the Bible that I've found so far that is acceptable, uh, but it's also the one that's the least common for us. Righteous anger. Here's a a second one for you. An emotional outburst or a release. This is reactive anger. This is that kind of anger that just boom, is on you. Now, my brother is a safety manager for a natural gas company, uh, the midstream kind of portion of that, pipelines and gas plants and that kind of stuff. And so he goes all over the country, and he's the one that everybody in the plant hates because, you know, he's the one that tells them you got to wear your Nomex and all those kind of things. And uh, if it was only that easy, it would be a great job for him. But uh, he sent, sent, every once in a while, he sends me stuff that's tied to his job just to kind of let me see some things uh, into his world, I guess. And uh, not too long ago, he sent me a, an email that had a video attachment of a Pemex plant. Now, Pemex is the Mexican National Oil Company, okay? And this was an explosion that took place in one of their plants just across the river from where I used to live in northern Mexico. I lived in southern Texas. And so just across the river, that's one of the things that kind of highlighted it for him. He sent it to me, and I watched it. And I watched it a number of different times. And it's an amazing thing to watch it and be able to pull it into a discussion on anger. Because what happened is somewhere in this plant, you see this flash, and it's a minor explosion. But when that minor explosion happens, it captures all of that other gas that's in the atmosphere there, and it starts blowing pipes and stuff open. And so this wall of flame just engulfs the entire screen. And you can see it because they slow it down for you in this particular video. And you can see people as they react to the initial explosion and turn. And some of them start running. And some of them, as the wall of flame gets to them, they start crawling and trying to get away from the heat that precedes the fire and all that. It, it was an amazing video. So many people lost their lives in that explosion. And I bring it into this discussion today because this kind of anger... This emotional outburst or release is the kind that does damage to everybody around you. One guy, a lady actually went to a uh, preacher one time. He was preaching on anger. She went to one of these famous preachers and she said, you know, um, I used to have a problem with anger, but uh, God delivered me from that. Now, when I have an anger thing in my heart and I know it, I just explode and I feel so much better. And he said, lady, a shotgun just explodes, but look at the damage that it does when it's left behind. That's what happens. I'm going to tell you that happens in just any kind of anger, especially this one and the next one. The emotional outburst. There's another type, though. This one 
may be more dangerous than the one we just talked about. This is that seething kind of anger. The slow burn. You know anybody like this? Now, I just talked about my music minister's wife in the other church who was redheaded. Uh, now, I had a great relationship with her. We loved each other. We joked around a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've told you I'm a recovering angerholic, so she and I could relate on a lot of stuff. Uh, we were great friends, still are. Uh, her husband, also a great friend of mine, still friends with him, he was not the explosive kind of anger guy. He referred to himself as a packer. Now, I immediately hated him because I'm a Cowboys fan person. I hate the Green Bay Packers. My point of reference, totally wrong, okay? Uh, this guy, by his own admission, was a packer. I said, you're going to have to explain what you mean by that. He says, when somebody does my wife wrong, uh, she just explodes on them. He said, I don't do that. I take it in and I just pack it down. And so for those of you who do like black powder guns, it's like taking that powder and just packing it in. You just keep packing it in until you got more than you need. But sooner or later, when a spark hits the packer, Great is the explosion thereof. Lots of these kind of people in our society today. We watched from our living rooms this past week as someone who had anger issues. Now, I'm I'm armchair psychologist, so I'm making that uh, diagnosis from a distance. A former L.A. policeman who takes it and takes it and takes it and takes it until he decides I'm not taking it anymore. And the explosion cost many lives and lots of money, including his own life in the end. The seething kind of mess with me one more time and you're going to find out who I am. One of my favorite stories, true story, had to do with Billy Martin and Mickey Mantle. Now, you know Billy Martin, uh, those of you maybe you don't know. He was a baseball player, but later became famous for being a manager. Managed the Yankees. I think he managed the Texas Rangers for a while. Uh, and Billy Martin, uh, well, he, was, he was kind of an angry guy when you get right down to it. And uh, he and his friend Mickey Mantle were going hunting one day. And they came down to Texas somewhere. And because uh, Mickey Mantle had a friend down here who owned some land, and so he came down. They came down here together to do some hunting, and so they went in to deal with them, you know, let the landowner know they were there. They were going to be back on his land hunting, and the landowner said this to Mickey, his friend. He said, "Listen, glad that you're here. Make yourself at home. All that kind of stuff. Uh, I need you to do a favor for me." He said, "I have an old mule out there, and she's been part of this, and I'm kind of attached to her. The vet says I need to put her down. I just don't have the heart to do it." So as my friend, would you go out, and before y'all go hunting, would you just go put her down? And so Mickey Mantle says, sure, I'm happy to do that for you. And uh, so he goes out, and he decides that he's going to get one over on his friend Billy Martin. And so on his way out to the truck, uh, he forms a plan in his mind. He gets into the truck, and he acts like he is incredibly mad. This would be the second kind of anger we're talking about. And he plays it up, and Billy's going, what's the matter? What happened? What are you talking about? He said, man, that guy won't let us hunt. We came all the way down here, and he's not going to let us hunt, so I'm going to show him. And so he reaches, and he grabs his gun, and he walks in. I'm going to shoot his mule. And so he walks out there, and he fires and shoots that mule. Now, Billy Martin, in the meantime, disappears. And he's trying to figure out what's going on, but he disappears in the meantime. And so Mickey Mantle comes back around, 
having shot the mule, as he was asked to do, and he can't find Billy Martin, and all of a sudden he hears, boom, boom. And Martin comes around the corner, and he is mad, man. He said, what did you do? He said, well, I shot two of his cows. I figure if we came all the way down. (laughs) See, I love that story. But I'm a recovering angleholic, so I got a twisted sense of funny on stuff, right? Now, now what you get in that one story is two different kinds of stuff. Okay, here's a guy who's packed it in and seething enough that all he needs is an opportunity to let it out. Now, before we go any further, let's just stop and let me ask you. Where do you find yourself in the spectrum? Now, I hope, I I would love it if 90% of this congregation this morning came to me and said, I'm in the group, I just don't get mad. I don't have any issues with people. I just find, I don't have anger problems. I would love it if I was preaching an irrelevant sermon today. Now, I don't ever want to preach an irrelevant one. I'll tell you, I want it to matter when you come in there. I want you to walk out going, that helps me live. But today, I would love it if you came to me and said, I don't have that problem. You know, I already told you, I'm going to think you're in denial, but that's another story, right? All right, so here's the deal. Let's see just how well you fit this. There's really not much better place for me to test your anger quotient than to get in a car with you during rush hour. Now, you see how quickly it comes home? How many of you have figured, I'm going to to be very careful how I say this because I know there are young years in here today. How many of you have figured out that 99.89% of the driving public is ridiculously inept? Figured that out, right? For instance, for instance, there are some very ignorant drivers in this area. That's me judging, okay? I'm good with that. I think I'm right on target. So here's how I know that. Did you realize... That the speed limit between here and Beaumont is now 75 and not 70? And don't shake your head yes, because I've been behind too many people who are still trying to do 70. Now, let me tell you, I'm, when I get in my car and head to Beaumont, I am on important business. <laughs> Mission from God kind of stuff. Like lunch. <laughs> it just eats me up that people cannot understand a simple speed limit sign. Now, I might be overstating that a little bit. I'll let you wonder about that. But you get in a car during rush hour, any place in America that I've driven a car, it's true, okay? Get in a car during rush hour and watch just how angry our society is. I came from an area when we moved out here where it was a rare week that went by that we did not hear of a shooting in cars tied to road rage. People are angry in America today. For some reason, I'll tell you what I think it is. I'm back to where I started out. Because we are on so many wrongly focused chases in American society and we're looking for fulfillment and meaning and all that stuff in all of the wrong places, our frustration level is through the roof. And then you throw people into that and it gets even worse. We're an angry country these days. 
And there are a lot of angry churches out here, out not just here, but around. So I think it's time for us to call it what it is and deal with it. If I could, if you gave me enough stroke to have a voice with you, I would love to give you permission to acknowledge I have an anger issue. Now, I'm telling you, coming out of my background and the substance abuse that's part of my life and my family's life at large, let me tell you something. It's a reality. Talk to licensed counselors, psychiatrists, therapists of all kinds. You will never get help with whatever your problem is until you first admit that you have a problem. We can send a 1,000 counselors a day to your house, but if you don't want help with whatever your problem is, you're not going to get help. And so because anger is so rampant in our society, I think today's a good day for us to kind of slow down and say, okay, how about me? Am I an angry person? Do I give place to anger in my life? And if so, what am I going to do about that? If you're going to do something about it, let's at least go to the right place to get it fixed. And here's what I mean by that. Now, when I was a kid, my dad, uh, early on, let us know that there was no free ride at our house, okay? He, with my brother and I both, he uh, impressed upon us the value of a good work ethic, and he made sure that we had a chance to practice that early on. I, I had started mowing the yard when I was about four months old, I think, okay? I'm not really sure. I don't remember the first time, but I know by the time I got to be five, I was a pro at mowing the yard. By the time I was in third grade, I was mowing the yards in our neighborhood just to make money. Because part of what he was going to do is not just give me money for stuff. I had to earn the money, so I started mowing yards. Okay, you know what? Let me translate that. I'm 50-plus years old now. I hate yard work. Okay? That makes sense? I'd rather take an all-night root canal than have to mow the yard. That's me. Okay? Now, (laughs) here's one of the things I learned in my yard-working days. If you have a bunch of weeds in your yard and you don't want them there, it does you no good to just mow them. You could mow them, and they don't look too much like weeds for a while. But when it's time to mow again, it's obvious you got a lot of weeds out there. One of the things my dad and my mother taught me about yard work is, my mom loves yard work, okay? Uh, She taught me that if you want to get rid of the weeds in the yard, you need to pull them. Now, I know now we can poison them. That's a whole other story, but... uh, That was what they taught us. If you don't want weeds in the yard, go to the root and get rid of the root because the root is what determines what the plant looks like. If you have an anger issue today, let's go to the root. Very quickly, I'm going to run through these because of our time. Effective treatments for dealing with anger. First of all, don't thrive on it. Know what I mean by that? Some people have just kind of created an idea that says, well, I'm just an angry person, and they think it's okay. I work with a pastor, and we were discussing a situation in church tied to a particular person, and he said to me, that person loves a crisis. In my history with him, and he had been in that church well over 20 years, uh, 30, I think, by that time, he said that person loves a crisis, and they so love a crisis that if there's not one happening in their lives, they're going to create one because they feed off of the energy of the crisis. People are like that with anger. 
People who excuse the anger in their lives tend to be this way. Well, it's okay. I like the New uh, New American Standard translation of this particular verse 9. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry. That's the person he's talking about. The one who just kind of thrives on it. And it's the one who says to his family members, hey, you know I'm an angry person, which is another way that's code speak for watch your step or I'll blow you away. Don't miss the analogy of the gas plant explosion. People die when explosions happen. And that's especially true in anger. So many people living in marriages where anger is the key emotion for one or both parents or spouses, that would be spice. (laughs) Where anger is the key emotion in that household and they wonder why love is dead. Explosions kill. Don't thrive on anger. If that's you and you're comfortable with it and you've made peace with it in your own life, well, I'm redheaded or I'm Irish or I'm just a jerk. Whatever it happens to be, don't thrive on it. As a matter of fact, when you get right down to it, this verse has a word for people like that. Did you catch that in verse 9, the last part? They're fools. You know, the Old Testament word for fool means... Slow, not retarded, slow in their ability to read a situation for its long-term effect. That's a heavy word, especially for people who say, I'm just angry. Well, don't be. Here's another one, another treatment for you. Don't entertain its presence in your life in the first place. That one kind of speaks for itself in the interest of time. I'm going to move on. So here's the third one. Trade pride for patience. Now we're back to verse 8. Look at verse 8 again because it doesn't really seem to fit with anger. The first part of it basically says this. Well, I'll read it for you first. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. What that basically means is when we get to the end and look backwards, we see the detail enough and we can understand the situation. But when we're standing on the front side looking forward, we don't get that, okay? We have to fill in the blanks of too many things that we don't really know. Now, that in and of itself is a good proverb. Scholars say, okay, so what does that have to do with anger tied to verse 9? Look at the latter part of verse 8. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Here's my deal with you. People who have anger issues have self-issues. Now, this is a self with a hyphen after it, okay? Self-worship. People with anger issues have self-worship issues. That's the pride part of verse 8. That's the part that says, I'm in control here. That's the part that's behind the wheel of the steering, that's behind the wheel in your car as you're steering your way into traffic and some knucklehead cuts you off and slows you down a half a mile an hour and immediately you get upset with them. I'm in charge. Self-worship. My pride says you don't count. By the way, that's rampant in our society. In the workplace, in the homes, in the churches on the streets, I 
am your God. Now, we mean that just the way it sounded. I am your God, which means you keep me happy. And if you don't, then I'm going to get angry with you. The other one is self-control issues. Now, my, daughter, uh, my daughter-in-law allowed us to keep our grandbaby overnight. Now, she's an angel. Not my daughter-in-law, my, my granddaughter. Okay. Well, maybe my daughter-in-law too. If she was here, I would say she was an angel too. No, I'm just kidding. She let us bring, she and our son let us bring Mackenzie in here or to church. We kept her overnight. Well, Teresa kept her overnight. I slept. Um, and so she's here. Now, if you want to meet her, they're in the back right now, and you can see her afterwards. But um, here's the deal. We went to Huntsville yesterday. Uh, Teresa's birthday was Friday, and my son's birthday was last week. And so we kind of met at my mom and dad's, and we had a family get-together for birthday stuff. And uh, Mackenzie was there. She's three and a half months old, roughly, all right? And to look at her when she's asleep, it's like, oh, look at the face of an angel. It's just beautiful. She just lays there so peaceful. And then she wakes up. And yesterday, I saw, (laughs) wow, what I saw. Man, she got mad about something. I don't know what it was. I'm sure her daddy did something to her. I'm sure sure that's it. She got mad. And I mean, you know, it's one thing to cry when you're hungry. I do that all the time. It's another thing to cry when you're hurt. But when you're just mad, I'm telling you what, that's a different kind of cry. And she did that yesterday. I mean, she went off. And I was watching her face, and it was like, for a kid who can't talk, she said a lot. (laughs) And I thought, of course, I knew what I was preaching on today. And I thought to myself, (laughs) if we don't, by the way, where do you think she learned that, honestly? Don't say the grandfather. That's a wrong answer, okay? (laughs) We didn't have to teach her that, Right? We didn't have to teach her how to be angry. She just got that way. And if a three and a half month old baby can express anger and be angry, how much more so is that true for you or for me with all of these years of practice that we have getting to be this age? And reasons. And now, this is why I want to go back to that he made me angry kind of stuff. Nobody has the ability to make you mad. Nobody. It is always a choice. You have to choose to respond in anger to something that happens. We don't have to learn how to get angry. That's part of our sin nature. We do have to choose how to handle our anger. So it takes me back to where I started with this. A byproduct of a wrongly focused chase is frustration. It just won't get you where you're trying to go. And that leads us to being angry. And if we live and entertain anger in our lives long enough, sooner or later we let it embed itself into our lives and we don't know how to be happy anymore because we're just angry people. So who are you? What are you chasing? Let's pray. And so, Father, once again, we open Scripture and it lays us bare. So we pray that you would give us the grace to hear the words that your Spirit even now speaks to us. There is a better way. 
Some of us are so well practiced with anger that we don't even know how to respond outside of that. And that in itself scares us. Some of us are living lives of imprisonment and fear because loved ones in our lives have chosen to express themselves angrily all the time. We need your touch. We need your grace. We need your power to right the ship on this point for us. So even now, we ask that your spirit would have freedom to work in us. For those who are struggling with this, Father, give them the grace they need, the determination to make it right, to make the turn, to find in you everything they need to live the life that you call them to live. Draw us close now as our prayer in Jesus' name.